impossible to believe. A young mom from Minnesota who found out that the pain she has been enduring for something like 33 years may have been unnecessary. NBC National Correspondent Kate Snow is here to explain that. Kate, good morning good to you. Good morning, good morning, Matt. This is a medical story, but it's also really a story about the human spirit. And a woman with an incredibly positive attitude, Jean Abbott, struggled to walk for more than three decades. By the time she hit her early 30s, she was worried she'd end up in a nursing home. But then one little pill changed everything. This is Jean Abbott in high school, walking awkwardly, struggling to get up the school stairs. It was painful, it was exhausting, it was challenging. As a child, Jean was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, a specific form of it called spastic diplegia. Nobody babied me. None of us were about to let this disability define me. Jean took thousands of medications, saw more than a dozen doctors. She was using a scooter when she met her husband, Steve. She leaned on him as they cut their wedding cake. They had two girls, but it was tough. She couldn't drive them to activities or make lunch for school. As a mom, you just, I felt inadequate. People that didn't really know me, and they would come up and, oh, do you have cerebral palsy? Jean looked like she had cerebral palsy, but here's the crazy part of her story. It turned out she never had CP. Never. In her early 30s, she was referred to Dr. Martha Nance, who immediately realized Jean's illness didn't look like classic CP. She walked more easily in the mornings, and her disability was getting worse with age. My job when I saw her was to think about any other possibility. I thought she was crazy. I couldn't imagine living life any other way. I had spastic cleared a cerebral palsy. I mean, I've been treated my whole life for that. Dr. Nance gave Jean a new diagnosis, a rare brain disorder called dopa-responsive dystonia, or DRD. The symptoms look a lot like cerebral palsy, but it's a different genetic disorder, not as well known when Jean was a child. This is kind of a one in a million disease. And with one big difference from cerebral palsy, DRD can be treated with a simple pill. For Jean, that one pill meant that after more than 30 years, she could walk without help. Now Jean could play, really play with her kids. Have a child cry for joy is just not something you see. And she was so genuinely happy her mom could walk. I just felt so grateful and just thinking, I want to see more. There's so much out there I want to see. I want to see more. She was able to do so many things that we never dreamt she'd be able to. It's been amazing to see the, the transformation. My legs feel like jello. Jean made this video showing the difference from when she's not taking her medicine to when she does. My walking is a lot faster, it's a lot easier. One pill made all the difference and could have for nearly three decades. I'm not angry in the least. All of my life experiences that I had to deal with, the physical therapy, the surgeries, all the medication, all made me a really strong person. Their two-year-old John won't even remember what it was like when mommy couldn't walk. Jean rode her first roller coaster, took a second honeymoon, did things she never imagined. You've got a really good life. And if this wouldn't have ever happened, we still would have had a really good life. And I'm grateful for it, and I can honestly say that I would, I would go through all of it again. All of it. 
such a remarkable woman. Jean and her doctor caution that the medication that she's taking is not a treatment. It is a treatment, rather. It's not a cure. Uh, she still has to get plenty of rest and sleep, but Jean hopes that by sharing her story, she might help others who have this rare disease. Meantime, Jean says she's not considering lawsuits against all the many doctors who misdiagnosed and treated her for a condition she didn't have. But it's, it's remarkable because you were explaining to me it was kind of a long and winding road to get her to this one doctor yeah. who correctly diagnosed right. her condition. She was referred to Dr. Nance, and Dr. Nance had seen it before and had read an obscure article in a medical journal at one point and sort of had it in the very back of her mind. But it's a very rare disorder, so it's understandable that the other doctors didn't see it. That's a great story, though. Kate, thank you very much. Isn't that a remarkable story? Here's a lady who's been diagnosed with cerebral palsy for 30 years, only to discover that she doesn't have it. In fact, taking a daily pill changes her life for good. Through what many might say was God's intervention, hope arrived, bringing a much brighter future for Jean and her family. Today's gospel story is a similar story about a physical ailment that a lady has been dealing with for 18 years. She finds a miracle cure and a life-changing hope through the presence and the touch of the great physician himself, Jesus. This was a woman that people pitied, avoided, and, and parents told their children not to stare at. It's a story about hope and how hope arrives in our lives. Luke, the gospel writer, loves to speak of the women helped by Jesus. There are 42 passages found in Luke where he speaks about women, 23 of which are found only in the gospel of Luke. This is the sixth miracle performed by Jesus found in Luke. And this story about Jesus' healing a bent over woman is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Now before reading our passage this morning, I'd like to share just a little bit of some biblical background. There were two different places of worship in first century Palestine. Can you name them? There was the temple in Jerusalem, and then there were the many local synagogues throughout Palestine. People brought their sacrifices to the temple. It was regarded as a sacred place, and only people who had been ceremonially washed and purified could enter. If you couldn't go to the temple, you could always go to a synagogue. There were thousands of synagogues. There were public buildings in which people could meet, talk, pray, argue, share information, and sing. Sounds like our church, doesn't it? Anyone could attend. Visitors were welcome. But now sacrifices were not offered in synagogues. There were no less than 480 synagogues in Jerusalem alone during the time that Jesus lived. The original Greek word synagogue merely means a place of meeting. Typically, a synagogue was a small structure built on a rise above the neighboring houses. Synagogues served 
as schools of religious instruction. Men and women probably sat on opposite sides in the synagogue. For public worship on Sabbath days, there had to be a minimum of 10 adult males present before they could proceed. There might be a leader of the synagogue, but any man, man, who could read, who knew the scriptures, and who was respected by the community could be a speaker. Jesus obviously fit this description. This was the very last time that Jesus spoke in a synagogue. Historians differ on where this synagogue was located. We know that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Over two years had passed since Jesus had first stood up in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Since then, Jesus had preached numerous times in a number of various synagogues, but the Pharisees who ran those places were becoming increasingly hostile to him. The miracle that Jesus performed here threw the Pharisees into such a rage that they determined he would never again speak in a place that they controlled. Luke doesn't tell us how many people were in attendance, but after 5,000 plus had just heard and listened to Jesus on the side of the mountainside, there's a good possibility that there was a, no, the room was completely packed. There had to be people sitting and standing everywhere. Now each synagogue had a leader. A man was probably selected from among the elders by a vote. The leader presided over the services, acted as an instructor in case of any dispute, and introduced visitors to the assembly. Anyone who was addressing the gathered community would probably walk to the center of the room. They would read the scriptures, offer comments, and then there would be a, a general discussion of the text. The passage recorded in Luke's gospel tells what happens after Jesus preaches. So if you have your Bibles, or if you'd like to reach for a pew Bible, or if you've got your mobile devices, turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free 
on the Sabbath day from what Valentine? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are three main characters in this story. Jesus, the bent over woman, and to a lesser degree, the synagogue leader. Let's take a look briefly at the woman. We're told that she's been suffering from this infirmity for 18 years. One translation, our translation, says it was an evil spirit. Another translator uses the words, a spirit of weakness. The reason for her bentness is really unknown. One medical cause could be ankylosing spondylitis. A chronic progressive form of arthritis that, if untreated, can cause severe spinal deformities. Sufferers from this disease often find that the pain is relieved somewhat when they lean forward. So they often go through the day leaning slightly forward and gradually their spine begins to, to fuse. The more they lean in order to relieve the pain, the greater the angle. Until a patient might be bent almost double like the woman in our story. Here's a picture of a lady that might have this disease. As Joshua mentioned out, all she can see is down. You know, another way to explain this woman's condition is thinking more along the lines of being crippled by a spirit. Something has gotten a hold of this lady, assumed power over her, and taken control of her life. It could have been something that happened to her as a child or as an adult, something so traumatic that she was unable to move on. It could have been some type of abuse or mistreatment that had gone on perhaps daily. It could have even been an addiction of some type. And yes, they did have addictions in the first century. Once a person is under the power of that kind of spirit, it can seem like there is no way out. You know, the woman in the story could not straighten her body. So she could not look upwards or forward. The shape of her twisted body, always bent over towards the ground, could be a symbol of people who are stunted and distorted by ignorance, prejudice, anger, or malice. As it was, this lady could only see the dirt at her feet. As many people can only see the bad side of things. She cannot look up and see the possibilities before her. She cannot look up to see color, to see the smiles of people's faces. 
She cannot look up to see the sky. People like this woman often lack hope and see only the negative. This is the bent over woman. She is everyone who has ever struggled to rise above the pain of oppression and low self-worth and judgment from others. She's everyone who's ever struggled with illness, addictions, loss of value, loss of spouse, or self-esteem, or innocence. She's anyone who has ever lived in a situation that is intolerable. Anyone who has been told, you can't, and believed it. She's anyone who has ever lost hope. She could be someone in this room. She might even be you. Jesus sees this bent-over woman and calls her out. You know, perhaps he walks over to where she's standing and leads her by the hand to the center of the room. And Jesus just says simply, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. He places his hands on her, and she stands up straight and begins to praise God. You know what happens next. Immediately, the synagogue leader jumps up to his feet, faces the congregation, and reminds them how inappropriate and wrong for healing to take place on the Sabbath. He knew the law, and healing was not allowed. That was work. Perhaps he was even anticipating Jesus pulling something like this off. But rather than speaking directly to Jesus, he faces the congregation. He attempts to humiliate Jesus and tries to win the congregation over his point of view. Jesus just cannot let this slide by. He has no patience with those who are more concerned about legal niceties than they are about helping to relieve human suffering. You hypocrites. Notice that he uses the plural. I think he's referring to all the people there, the leaders who had a very similar type of viewpoint. You hypocrites, you give water to your work animals on the Sabbath. Shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Now, did you hear the name that Jesus gave this woman? He calls her a daughter of Abraham. She's the only person in the entire Bible that's called a daughter of Abraham. Abraham, as you might remember, was the great father of faith. He was the one who many years before had received God's promise that a great nation would be created out of his descendants. A people whom one day all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This woman, says Jesus, is Abraham's daughter. She isn't the crippled woman. She certainly isn't a nobody. 
She shall not be ignored and pushed aside. She shall not be given a label just, just to keep her in her place. No, she's a beloved child of Abraham. She's a part of God's great plan of salvation and blessing to the whole world. Once again, love pours out of Jesus. He can't help noticing the invisible. He can't help loving them. Can't help healing them. In this case, Jesus reaches out to heal without even being asked. He sees the bent over the woman. Sees just not the obvious thing that she can't stand up straight. He sees whatever spirit has been keeping her life bent. He sees the totality of her suffering, the humiliation of her element, the way that it has set her apart into a prison of loneliness. He sees how other people look away whenever she comes into their line of vision. He sees the emotional as well as the physical part of pain that she suffers. He sees the whole picture, sees that she is too timid, too afraid or too hopeless to ask for healing. Friends, Jesus sees the exact same thing about us. He sees deep into our need. He sees what sometimes we can't even see ourselves. That our anger toward other people is often really just anger at ourselves. That sometimes we're afraid to look inside ourselves because we know that there's a lot of garbage in there that we'd rather not deal with. Jesus sees that the good front that we put up while we're out in public is often just a cover-up for the hurts that we've suffered through the years, the rejections, the disappointments, the failures, the losses, the fears. Jesus sees the ugly stuff inside us. Ugly things that others have done to us. Ugly things that we have done to ourselves. Ugly things that we've done to others. Ugly things that were just nobody's fault, but just happened. Jesus sees our diminished hope in our eyes, and in our spirit. He sees it all. And just like he did with this bent-over woman, he calls us. Perhaps he reaches his hand out to us and says, Come, let me put my hands on you and heal you. Let me take all that is bent and crooked in your life and make it straight. Make it strong. Let me wipe away all the ugliness that's inside you. Let me restore your hope. You are a child of Abraham. You are God's child. You are loved without limit, without reservation and without condition.
Hope has arrived. And his name is Jesus. Do you know the hope of the world, the one who desires that intimate relationship with you? You know, emotional and spiritual healing requires the touch of Jesus. And he's always ready to give.